with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 13. If I had known we'd be in John uh, this past Christmas, I would not have uh, preached on the passage. So here we are uh, just several months later looking at it again. But there are some more things in it, and uh, it's, a, it's a great passage anyway. So uh, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. We'll read them and consider them before we do so. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that uh, makes our lives clear, the world clear, and who you are clear. We thank you that you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can understand these spiritual things and that we can have our hearts changed and that we can be made more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So it's our hope and prayer that as we take a look at this passage that you will draw your people to yourself uh, in a new way, that you will encourage our hearts and equip us and strengthen us, and that you will also save any here who might not know you. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, uh, John 1 at verse 6. Uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives. This morning, uh, beloved uh, uh, brothers and sisters of Hope Church and everyone with us here uh, this morning, I just want to mention briefly by way of introduction that the, uh, the way God has laid out the New Testament beginning with the four Gospels is uh, uh, really uh, encouraging. Uh, it's, it's brilliant, really. Uh, obviously, the Holy Spirit wrote it. Uh, I'd like for you kids to imagine, you know, you might be sitting here thinking, why do we need four Gospels? we got Matthew, <laughs> then we read Mark, and I hear a lot of the same stuff. Then we read Luke, and there's a lot of the same stuff. We read John, he's got a lot of other stuff in there. But, but it's all about Jesus. Why do we need four different depictions? I'd like for you to imagine if you took uh, three of your friends and went and job shadowed uh, uh, the governor, Kim Reynolds. So I, I don't think you could do this, but let's say you could. So you're, you're going to spend the whole day with her, just the four of you, and then uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to write an account. So you uh, hear everything she said. You watch everything she did. Uh, you see all of interactions. And then at the end of the day, you're tasked with uh, writing down your account of the day. What you're going to discover is that uh, even if all of you are telling the truth and all of you are accurately reporting everything that you saw and heard, there's going to be four different accounts. You've got four different viewpoints because your friend will see something you didn't. They'll hear something that you didn't. And that's exactly what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus calls his disciples, says, look, follow me. <laughs> but, and, and eventually the Holy Spirit fills him and says, you know all that stuff you saw following Jesus? The stuff that John said, if it was written in all the books, the world can contain them, all that stuff. Well, you're going to write an account now, and you're going to tell the gospel story. So we come to the gospel of John. It's a unique gospel, non-synoptic, meaning it's not similar to the other, uh, the other three. And uh, uh, we see his perspective on things. And he, he talks a lot here about John the Baptist to walk into his ministry quite a bit um, uh, in, in a, several verses later. But I want us to just look at three things regarding the light, because this is where John's focusing our attention on the light. So first of all, the witness of the light. Secondly, the appearance of the light. 
And then thirdly, the response to the light, those three things. So first, the witness of the light, and I draw your attention to verses six through eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, if you take a look at the passage in those three verses, the word witness or bear witness is used uh, three times. It's, it's an important word. It's language from a courtroom setting where you're called in to testify, uh, to bear witness about something that uh, you've seen. And we're, the, the call is to speak the truth in such a way as to convince the judge or the jury that what you're saying is accurate, what you're saying is true. You've seen the facts, and now you're going to testify to the facts in a persuasive uh, way. So the witness is to provide a persuasive testimony, a statement of facts that is uh, convincing. And John the Baptist is called this kind of witness. Now, when you look at John the Baptist and his witness, there's a few things that stand out about it. Uh, we can't witness this way, but uh, the first thing about John the Baptist is that, and which made his witness so powerful, is that he was predicted. So God said, before John even showed up, God said, yep, there's going to be a guy like that that's going to come, <laughs> and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Speaking of John. Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So that all who heard John the Baptist preach and teach and point to Jesus could have said, we better listen to this guy because the Lord told us he was going to show up and here he is and he's pointing to the Messiah. So we better listen to him and believe in the one that he's pointing us to. But something else, uh, well, let me just, something else about John the Baptist that made him a uh, an especially powerful witness is that he pointed people to Jesus. John 1 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was John's mission. In fact, the Apostle John tells us that John the Baptist wasn't the light. John the Baptist didn't point to himself. He's not the light. He exists to point to the light, to point to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what John did. He must increase, I must decrease. John's existence, his reason for being on this planet was to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it. And then he also called, the third part of his, his testimony that's important is that he called people to believe in Jesus I remember Matthew 3, uh, Pharisees, Sadducees are coming out. He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Powerful language. But then he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's calling them to repent. He's calling them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were. And beloved, there's a consideration here for our own witnessing and our own evangelizing that I want to just briefly mention before we dive, continue to dive into the passage. In Acts, one chap in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord Jesus tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. And what we'll notice, uh, so the Lord is giving the church the job of witnessing for him. We're part of the church. What we'll notice in the Gospel of John, in the first few chapters especially, is that witnessing for Jesus in John's mind and his Gospel is not something complicated. It's simply bringing others to see Jesus. It's simply telling others about Jesus and then uh, persuasively trying to get them to believe in him, like saying, you should believe in him. Come see what I've seen, not just, hey, the Messiah's here. Just thought I'd pass that information along. But uh, we think we found the one. Uh, come and take a look. That's a call to follow. That's a call to come. Beloved, that's exactly what testifying uh, is. 
It's a presenting of the facts of the gospel, the presenting of Jesus Christ, and then persuading people to believe. Paul did this all throughout the book of Acts. There's three passages that kind of highlight this. I'll read them. Acts 19, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading about the kingdom of God. Acts 26, 28, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, well, I don't know whether it's short or long, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And then in Acts 28, 23, from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince or persuade them about Jesus, both from the law and the prophets. And some were convinced or persuaded by what he said. So persuading, convincing is part of witnessing uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if we were standing, let me throw an illustration out there. If we were standing on the rocks below Red Rock Dam where that current runs really fast, and we had happened to see the whole event of uh, an adult and a child wandering out into there and the child being uh, sucked in by the current and the adult uh, uh, swimming out there to grab the child and drag the child back to safety. And then uh, only to discover after that event that someone had falsely accused the adult of actually pushing the child in there and saying, well, they tried to drown the child. They didn't try to save the child. And we're called to be a witness in that court case. My guess is that we would testify till our tongues fall off. <laughs> this person was not trying to drown that child. In fact, they tried to save the child. They tried to rescue the child. The current brought the child in, not the adult. And beloved, it's the same for us, right? You've seen the light. We've seen the facts, right? By faith, we've beheld the truth. We've beheld that God reigns. We've beheld that He owns creation, that He's created everything. We've beheld that we're sinful fallen messes. And we've beheld that God in His grace sent his son to come into this world, to be born through the Virgin Mary, to be obedient, to live in our place, to suffer, to bleed, to die, and to rise again. We have seen all those facts. And now we are witnesses. The church is a witness in this world. What do we do as witnesses? We tell other people about Jesus. We just put before people the facts. Hey, let me tell you something. I, 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 let, me, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you what he's done for sinners in this world. And then we try and persuade them or convince them because as we evangelize, one thing that becomes usually patently clear or, or, or rather obvious is you, you don't just present the gospel. People are like, oh, thanks for telling me I'm, I'm done. But it takes convincing because people have pushback. They have arguments. They have reasons not to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're trying to work to persuade them, to convince them to believe in the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. But one of the biggest things about this work of witnessing is that we don't point our people to ourselves. Uh, I find it interesting that the gospel writer John says John the Baptist was not the light. He makes that really clear. And then in the next verse, he says the true light was coming into the world. So he's making a big distinction. John the Baptist, don't think he's the light. The real light is Jesus Christ. And John exists just to point him to this. I'm always reminded of how important this is and what this looks like uh, from the story of some Americans. I think it was in the 1880s. Some say a group of pastors. I heard uh, some, some other people, but some Americans went in the 1880s to London to hear a couple great preachers, one of, which, one of which was Spurgeon. The first church they went to, the pastor uh, had a congregation of about three to 4,000. And uh, when they left, they said, what a great preacher, amazing sermon. And then the following week, they went to hear Spurgeon preach. And when they left, they left saying, what a great savior, big difference. One's pointing to himself and to his eloquence maybe, 
and the other one's pointing to Jesus Christ. Beloved, we exist to point other people to Jesus Christ, not to ourselves. We exist to witness for him, to be his witnesses in the world and to testify to the facts concerning him. And then if you notice also in the verse, it says through him that all might believe through him. Now in our uh, uh, Calvinistic circles where we believe that God saves only by grace and he does, and that he does it all by himself, which he does, <laughs> a passage like this can sometimes trip us up. So that all might believe through him. So people are saved through John the Baptist? Yes. People are saved by means of John the Baptist? Absolutely. In God's way of advancing his kingdom, in his way of saving people, he uses people. He doesn't use robots. He doesn't use some massive voice from heaven. He uses people in his ordinary way to witness for him. So the first Christians in Ephesus were saved through the Apostle Paul. He's the one that they heard the gospel through. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was uh, believed through a primitive Methodist shoemaker, just some guy who stood up in the midst of a snowstorm because the pastor didn't make it that day. And he preached on Isaiah and he hardly knew what to say. And Charles Spurgeon was saved through him. You believe through a friend or a parent or a teacher maybe. And you know what? Our neighbors and our friends and our family members who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ are going to believe through you and through me as we go out into the world and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing I want us to notice is the witness of the light. John the Baptist and then our own witness in the New Testament or in the New Covenant. Secondly, I want us to notice the appearance of the light. And this is just briefly. So verse 9 of John chapter 1, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John was the witness of the light. Uh, he existed to point to the light. He was not the light. Uh, the true light was the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told it enlightens everyone, or literally it enlightens every man. This true light enlightens uh, every man. This might sound like John is saying, well, everyone's going to be saved. Everyone will come to the light. But that's not what John is saying. What John is saying is that when this light comes into the world, it will shine on everybody. And we're going to see a couple different responses to the light. When the light shines in the darkness, there's a couple different responses. D.A. Carson explained it this way. It shines on every man and divides the race. Those who hate the light respond as the world does. They flee lest their deeds should be exposed by this light. But some receive this revelation and thereby testify that their deeds have been done through God. In John's gospel, it is repeatedly the case that the light shines on all and forces a distinction. So when we're told that the light shines on every human being, uh, uh, what we're given to understand then is that when it shines, there will be a distinction drawn. There's two responses, rejection and reception. Uh, you know, let me illustrate it this way before we can look into them. You know, if you walk into your kids' bedrooms, uh, let's say it's four in the morning and you walk in there and flip on the light, <laughs> probably gonna get two responses, right? The one response will be covers over the head, eyes closed, leave me alone, turn the light back off, right? Fleeing from the light. They don't want, they're not ready for the light yet. It's still, it's still night, it's still time to sleep. But there's a second response where some kids will be like, oh, it must be morning time, time to wake up. They'll open their eyes and it'll take a while to get used to it, but they'll be crawling out of bed. They have a different response to the light. They're getting up, the light means time to go. And so we see the same thing spiritually, beloved, when it comes to the light. When Christ shines on people, there are two different responses. There is uh, the cockroaches run for the hills, and then there's the other response where we come to the light as, as hard as it may be. And we're like, this is, this is good for me. I need the light. And I want to look first at rejection. This is found in verses 9 through 11 of John 1. 
The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now there's particularly two things that highlight why Jesus' rejection is, is almost odd. The first is that uh, verse 10, the world was made through him. So we've already looked at earlier in John that all of creation was made through him. He was there at creation. Creation was made through him. So this is like uh, 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 someone, Jesus is the builder of the house, right? And when he came to his creation, the very thing he built, it didn't know him, didn't recognize him. This would, be, this would be similar to, imagine you hired somebody to build your house. And let's say for six months, they're framing your house up, pouring the concrete, they're putting the siding on, they put the roof on, they finish all the interior, they hand you the keys. Six months later, they come to your house and, and they say, hey, how's it going? Is everything holding up? And you say, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> who are you? It, you? You'd think, boy, this is really odd. There's something wrong with the homeowner, right? I, I've known you for six months. I just got to building your house. We talked all the time and, and I come to you and you don't recognize me. Beloved, isn't it odd that all creation was made through Christ and when he comes to his creation, the creation doesn't even know him. What's interesting is that the wind and waves know him. The wind and waves obey him. The wind, it stops. He says, peace be still, it stops. The waves calm down. Creation knows exactly who this is. But we in our fallen state are so fallen, so broken, that when our creator shows up with all of our brain power and all of our intellectual abilities, the wind and the waves are smarter than we are. They recognize the creator, but we in our lost state don't. They don't receive him. So it stands out as just how Ah, this rejection is. But the second thing that John makes clear regarding this rejection is that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So the, the ones who were told all about the Lord Jesus Christ, who had the Old Testament to read, who fulfilled every prophecy about himself, the ones who had Isaiah 53 in front of them, the passage about Moses saying there's going to raise up a prophet after me who will come. All these passages they had and then he comes to his own people, his own, his own, the, the, the people of the Lord, he comes to them and they don't receive him. Brother, this is like a child not knowing who their parent is. It's one thing for a homeowner to not know who the builder was. It's a far different thing for a child to not remember a parent. Every child knows who takes care of them. Every child knows this. You put them in a room with, with 100 adults and they'll pick out exactly who takes care of them. Yep, those are the people that take care of me. Beloved, that's how fallen and broken we are. That, that's the crazy aspect of the rejection is Christ comes to his own people and they don't even uh, receive him. So the darkness in each of us before we come to Christ is, is immense. You know, after we've been Christians for a while, we might forget this. We might forget about the privileges of living in the light. We might forget about how enlightened we really are. But when you look at what John's saying here, we came from some really deep darkness like solitary confinement, no windows, uh, uh, no gap at the front, total, complete darkness, can't see anything. That's where we came from spiritually. And then the light shone and we accepted the Savior, but plenty do not. They, they see the light, but they reject the light. And then uh, in verses 12 to 13, we'll finish with this. We have reception. So there's rejection of the light. Jesus comes, shut that light off. <laughs> I don't want my deeds exposed. I don't want to come to the light. I don't want to be cleaned up. 
I don't want anybody else to see the dirt because that's what life sh light shows. It shows dirt, it shows stains, it shows sin. So there's that, there's that reality, get away from me. But then there's the opposite reality, there's reception or there's believing in verses 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So there's a group of people living in the darkness, and when the light shone, they came to the light. We came squinting, probably at first. Sometimes we come painfully, because it hurts to then take a look around and see, wow, I've, I've got a lot of dirt on me. I need a lot of cleaning up. But when the light shone, uh, we came to the light and we believed. Uh, we believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to those people who received him, who believed in his name, God gave the right or the authority or the privilege of being children of God so that God obligates himself to those who believe in his son. Isn't that amazing? God says, look, you got a guarantee. I will obligate myself to this. You believe in my son and you have the right now. You, I owe you to be a child of God then, to be a child of mine. You have that authority, you have that privilege, that right. He gave them the right to be children of God just by believing in Jesus Christ, his son. So we have a claim on God through believing in Jesus Christ. Now, how did it come to pass that some of the people were filled with darkness, uh, who were filled with darkness received the light? How did this happen? Is it because we're better? No, John makes it very clear how we became children of God. He says, first, the negative, not of blood. So God's children, are not determined by who the parents are, by who our ancestry is. Um, who our earthly parents are does not determine whether or not we will be saved. Uh, God can use the means of parents and often does to save children. But, but just because we have Christian parents doesn't mean that we will be saved. So it's not because I came from the right ancestry that I'm a Christian. Uh, 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 John says it's not of blood. In fact, I, sometimes, I remember one of the most uh, godly couples that I know um, uh, great Christian parents. They love the Lord and they serve the Lord well. They have uh, children who are well into their adult years. I think they're in their 30s that uh, uh, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Not one of their children believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, maybe they will eventually. But beloved, that just testifies to the fact that if you're born in the right family and you go to a Christ-centered congregation, church, and you hear the gospel over and over again, it just testifies to the fact that you might not be saved. Maybe you'll never hear when the light shines, you might reject it. So blood is not why we are children of God, nor of the will of the flesh. So again, no one's summoned up enough willpower or enough internal gusto to say, you know what, I'm going to make myself a believer. I'm going to do this all on my own. It's never happened, beloved. Philosophers have never been able to think their way into heaven. Uh, uh, the strongest people have been never been able to lift or push their way into heaven. Uh, we can't do it uh, by uh, by our own willpower, by the will of the flesh. And then John also says, nor of the will of man. So no other human being has been able to save anyone else. You know, on our own strength, we can't save ourselves and no one can save ourselves for us. Uh, Psalm 49 verses 7 to 8 puts it this way, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. In other words, if we're drowning, we can't help somebody else who's drowning too. If we're in debt, we can't pay somebody else's debt. If we're stuck in sin and under condemnation, we can't help anybody else out with their sin and their condemnation. So no one can save anyone else. And then he concludes with this, but of God. That's how we have become children of God. God did it. 
God did this all through the Lord Jesus Christ. God said, you know, here's how I'm going to make you my sons, and here's how I'm going to make you my daughters. Here's how I'm going to bring you to my household. I'm going to take my eternally loved son, and I'm going to have him change places with you. So he's going to come down into the world that you all kind of messed up on your own. It's all your fault. He's going to, he's going to walk into this world, and he's going to do all the things that you've refused to do and can't do even if you wanted to try. Every one of the commandments, he's going to obey perfectly. And he, you're, going to, you're going to hate him. You're going to want to kill him. And then eventually, uh, he's going to go all the way to the cross. And he's going to be changing places with you. You see, you should be there. Uh, you're the ones who've done all the wrong. You should be hanging there. But I'm going to put him in your place. So my eternally begotten son is going to change places with you. And that's how you become my son or daughter. He goes in your place. You go in his place. And he rises again. And you become co-heirs with him. He becomes your brother. And now you're my friend. That's what God's done for us, beloved, to make us his children. Uh, he has done this work through the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us new birth. Look, if we're sitting here today as a Christian, there are a lot of means God has used to bring us to faith. But you know what? There's a lot of people who've heard the gospel the same way that you and I have. There's a lot of people who've heard Christ proclaimed more than you and I have. And they don't believe. And they may perish in their unbelief. And the only difference between you and I and them is God. God and His mercy. God and His love. It's that simple. Humbling, encouraging that God would actually save any of us, including people like you and me. So, beloved, in Jesus Christ, the lights turn on. Light exposes things, makes things clear, helps us to see things better. Uh, when we come to the light, what we discover, we're going to see this in the Gospel of John, is that the light is not out to destroy us. When we come to the light, we realize the light is actually out to heal us, but it hurts. Because when you come to the light out of pitch black darkness, there's an adjustment period. There's a time where you have to shut your eyes again and just look at the red glow through your eyelids, and that's enough light when you come out of the pitch darkness. And gradually we start opening our eyes more and more to this light because we realize this light is good for me. I need this light. This light is healing for my soul. And that light is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our light. He's our encouragement. Beloved, he went through the worst darkness. He went through all the darkness that God's wrath uh, uh, put him through, could have put him through, so that we could be children of light and never have to face the darkness that he had to face. Praise God for him. Let's pray.